Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This is episode 345, recorded on Monday the 30th of November 2020, starting at 23.42.09. Oh, yeah, I am here again. Pardon the prevarication. I'm trying to get myself into the mood for podcasting. I just finished the notes for this episode a few seconds ago, really. I've got another Red Bull Frosty in front of me. On that more later. I said back in episode 343 that I saw the adventure that we're going to talk about tonight, which is the Doctor Who story titled Pyramids of Mars from 1975, the first time it was broadcast. And now, you know what? I'm just not sure. I do definitely remember seeing it recently as a TV repeat, perhaps on the Horror Channel. I'm not quite sure about that either. But whether or not I saw it in 1975, I just don't know. It does seem familiar, but at this point now, after years of revisiting old Doctor Who, they all seem familiar from the mid-70s onwards. I also said recently at the... (laughs) risk of repeatedly repeating myself, that John Pertwee was my doctor, but he was only my doctor because it was years after I was born that we even owned a television. Technically, Patrick Troughton was my doctor, though John Pertwee was definitely the coolest. And Tom Baker was the most entertaining, And the most kid-friendly was Peter Davidson, whose real name, apparently, is Peter Malcolm Gordon Moffat. Did I know that? Who knows? Who knows at this stage what I've used to know, what I've just learnt, what any of this means. (laughs) Which is what happens when you do a podcast for too long about a single subject. I think Sylvester McCoy was the most mysterious, continuing this tangent, mainly because of the Andrew Cartmel Virgin Books tie-ins, which I greatly enjoyed. Before we start, I must warn you, as I mentioned right at the top of the pre-show section, that I have had an insane amount of caffeine which means I went a little overboard and wrote far too much about this one small story. And that will soon become apparent. Expect more tangents? Expect mania. As usual, let's start off with some cast crew and production notes. The fourth Doctor is played by Tom Baker. His companion, Sarah Jane Smith, is played by the delightful Elizabeth Slarden. This story was directed by Paddy Russell, 
Paddy is short for Patricia. She was an early BBC female director. Her other Doctor Who credits include The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve in 1966, Invasion of the Dinosaurs in 1974, Pyramids of Mars 1975, and Horror of Fang Rock 1977, which we, of course, have not yet talked about. That last one, that is. Horror of Fang Rock. Which, incidentally, is another of those adventures I swear that I saw the first time round. I absolutely swear this time. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Lewis Griefer wrote the original script, and then it was substantially rewritten by frequent Doctor Who screenwriter Robert Holmes. And thus, this adventure is credited to the entirely fictional Stephen Harris. The producer was Philip Hinchcliffe, and this is story three of season 13, following Planet of Evil, which we talked about in 343. Pyramids of Mars consisted of for 25-minute episodes, first broadcast from the 25th of October to the 15th of November 1975. And on to our On This Day in the UK bit that I've done for quite a while now, not for the entirety of the run of this rewatch, but for a good while. And I have to tell you right now, I just can't do this anymore. Nothing happened on that day. I'm sorry if that day is your birthday, but as far as I'm concerned, absolutely buggering well, nothing happened. So let's just get on with the rest of the show. And first of all, I'll play you a little audio clip, and then I'll tell you what happens. die yet. Identify yourself. Just destroy me, Sutek. Nothing else now is left within your power. Identify yourself. It is within my power to choose the manner of your death. I can, if I choose, keep you alive for centuries, racked by the most excruciating pain. Since your interference has condemned me forever to remain a prisoner in the Eye of Horus, it would be a fitting end. You would make an amusing diversion. Identify yourself, plaything of Sutek. I'm a traveler. From where? Gallifrey, the constellation of Casterbridge. Okay, hope you enjoyed that brief taster of the story. And let me tell you in my own words what happens. The TARDIS is diverted in its flight back to Unit HQ and instead lands in the right place but at the wrong time, in a priory built sometime 
before the later unit facility. The property belongs to an Egyptologist named Marcus Scarman, who returns through a portal within a sarcophagus and, on arrival, kills Namin, his servant. Marcus Scarman is possessed by Sutek, also known as Set, who is the last of an omnipotent alien race called the Osirans, who has been imprisoned within a pyramid in Egypt and held there by a signal emanating from a pyramid on the planet Mars. Sutek then sets in motion his puppet, Marcus Scarman, to control robots in the guise of mummies. The bindings of these mummies are simply a protective covering to build a missile with which he can destroy that pyramid on Mars and thus free himself. After Lawrence Scarman, Marcus's gentle inventor brother, who was hitherto helping the Doctor and Sara dies, the Doctor disguises himself as a mummy with the bindings removed from one of the robots by Lawrence. He then sabotages the missile by blowing it up with a box of explosives from a local poacher's shed. The Doctor is, however, himself possessed by Sutek and takes Marcus to Mars in the TARDIS, whereupon Marcus cuts the signal holding Sutek prisoner. The Doctor realises that the time a radio signal will take to reach Earth from Mars will buy him some minutes, and so returns and then uses the TARDIS's time control mechanism to move the end of the space-time tunnel millennia into the future. And so Sutek, trapped within this tunnel, dies of old age. The last episode finishes with the Doctor causing a fire within the portal that then burns down the Priory, which in history was burned down by a mysterious fire, and now we know the cause. Okay, then let's move on to what I thought. Sorry I'm laughing, Uh, I'm a bit wobbly with all that caffeine, and also I'm just looking in horror at the sheer amount that I've written in the last few minutes. I suppose we'd better get to it then. Near the beginning of the story, I enjoyed this scene in which the Doctor has a textbook case of a midlife crisis. You know what, Doctor? Tell me about it. I've been having one of those for the last, I don't know, ten years or so? The story combined tropes so old, I didn't even have to go to TV tropes. For example, one of the (laughs) tropes concerns Namin, Marcus Scarman's sinister Egyptian, I'm assuming, servant. Namin is both the Orientalist caricature of the dodgy dark foreigner and the organ-playing villain at the same time. 
So the production really has to be credited with <laughs> really shoveling in the tropes. Stereotyping aside, which, by the way, is acknowledged in Namin's dialogue, Namin's organ playing was fantastic and sinister, and now I want an organ. And I'm also wondering who wrote and played that piece of organ music. Maybe it was just an off-the-shelf thing, but it was really cool. And if you know me and you've visited my website, you'll know I really do dig the whole organ-playing sinister bad guy. Talking about cool bad guys, Marcus Scarman, the possessed Egyptologist, was played by an actor called Bernard Achard, who had a delightfully villainous face, which was all hard, bony angles and thin lips, and this great, sharp, hooked bill of a nose. Congratulations, sir, for having such a villainous face. As far as the costumes go, I love both the spacesuit that Marcus uses to traverse the space-time tunnel. It is a cape and helmet affair. It is Ziggy Stardust, if Ziggy Stardust was E-V-I-L. And there's even dry ice that is used on his arrival through the portal. It's very evil glam rock, if there is such a genre. The outfit worn by Sutek captures the ancient Egyptian slash megalomaniac supervillain look to a T. Imagine if Lord Buckethead had a bit part in the Bangles' Walk Like an Egyptian music video. Well, you know, it's that sort of thing, but really not at all. But uh, here comes the caffeine. (laughs) It gives you a very, very rough idea about what I'm talking about. And also the amount of Red Bull that's swimming inside my bloodstream and frying my brain. Slightly prosaically, Marcus looks rather like an all-in-black space Trojan warrior and Sutek looks the same-ish, but with a spacey version of an Egyptian death mask. I think that's more than enough for now. Moving on to the mummies, and the mummies had this red control crystal set into their backs, which reminded me of a reversing light, which cued more unmanly giggles. Although, like I said, that could be the caffeine. What we finally see under Sutek's mask resembles the composite of a horse and jackal with glowing eyes, which brings to mind the mysterious Typhonian animal of the god Set. Possibly the most ridiculous way to die ever conceived on screen is shown in this story, and that is when one of the characters is sandwiched between the tummies of two rather robust mummy robots. The robotic mummies are silly, 
and far below the standard of horror I'd expect of a Hinchcliffe production. Though I'll let them off because they were entertaining. Let's move on to props, and as you've begun to hear lately, there is almost every week a prop I'd like to own IRL. This week it was the Doctor's lockpick, which we only see for a second, which looks like a key collided with an orrery. In other words, it's a spacey sci-fi key. More spacey than the TARDIS key, because it's got all these knobs on it. Well, I've already said that. It looks a bit like a mini orrery. There is a point at which, shortly before she is strangled by a mummy, Sarah positions her neck just so, so that the mummy actor can more easily achieve a credible chokehold given the great clumsy bindings around his hands. That scene reminded me of something out of wrestling, where two wrestlers badly stage a fake move. You know the sort of thing. You see it in all wrestling, traditional British wrestling that was popular in the 70s and 80s, and more commonly WWF or WWE or whatever the hell it's now called. There's also another scene featuring Sora, when she looks out onto the wrecked landscape of an alternate 1980, should Sutek's plan come to fruition. She says, But I'm from 1980. I think that's an interesting fact that I can't recall having heard before this point. That radio signal delay idea makes total sense until you realise the Doctor owns a bloody time machine. But that has always been one of the most glaring holes in the logic of Doctor Who, which I'm sure has been explained away dozens of times over the years, with perhaps something like, oh, you just can't meddle with time. Man, give me a break. On the other hand, at least the radio signal delay is a real thing in science, so at least there's a smithin of hard sci-fi to assuage us hard sci-fi nuts. According to the European Space Agency, radio takes 13 minutes and 48 seconds to reach our little blue ball, which is plenty of time for the Doctor to leave Mars and bugger up Sutek's plans. Science. I can't help feeling that this story, with its alien ancient Egyptian gods, must have influenced the later Stargate in 1994, the movie and the TV series, which had a similar malevolent species called the Goold. Goold. Called the Goold. <laughs> called the Goold. Called the Goold. 
Sorry to interrupt, this is Roy a day later in editing mode, laughing at myself. It is so silly, this bit, where I can't say that word. I'm not going to try again now that I thought I'd leave it in. Anyway, back to the show. All of which brings to question... The question. (laughs) Did I actually like it? I think it was okay. I would not say that it's one of the best stories in Doctor Who. And while I, as I've mentioned before, pan the mummies, they are like Bok the Prancing Gargoyle covered in episode 250, Doctor Who the Demons from 1971. Funny. And they make me laugh no matter how many times I watch this story. Hello, it's me again the next day, breaking in yet again with another last-minute edition. I must compliment excellent actor Gabriel Wolfe, whose voice so deliciously delivers Sutek's beautifully erudite and evil lines of dialogue. You would have thought I'd get these things right the first time round, but uh, better late than never. And yet again, back to the show. Finally, the ancient Egyptian themes, gods, and the mythology of the conflict between the god Set and Horus appeal to my past as an old-world archaeologist. In conclusion, then, despite a few minor quibbles and what I think are a few flaws in the script, I did enjoy Pyramids of Mars. Excuse me while I refresh myself with even more caffeine, which should bring the levels of caffeine floating in my bloodstream to an almost toxic level. Mmm, delicious. Let's move on to some trivia. Marcus Scarman's inventor brother, Lawrence, is played by an actor named Michael Shard, who would go on to play the nasty deputy head, Maurice Bronson, in Grange Hill. And, of course, that unfortunate Empire officer in The Empire Strikes Back, who is choked to death by Lord Vader. Who, by the way, my mum is still worshipping. Just rewind to an earlier episode. Let's briefly talk about locations. The exteriors were filmed at a place called Stargrove Manor in Hampshire, and the interiors at BBC Television Centre at Shepherd's Bush. The brilliantly and absolutely appropriately named Stargrove Manor was bought by Mick Jagger in 1971, It then later became a recording studio. It was used by bands including Led Zeppelin. And the list of how insanely well-connected this building is to posh and rich weirdo celebrities is far too long for one single episode. You could do an entire show just about the history of that place. Finally, 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 
According to the BBC episode guide, this story has its roots in classic mummy horror films like Hammer's The Mummy from 1959 and Blood from the Mummy's Tomb 1971. Well, of course it does. Mummies, curses, turn-of-the-century creepy mansions. It's got all the ingredients. And that appears to be that. Thank God. Whew. I can barely, at this stage of the show, remember what I just said ten seconds ago. (laughs) I really pushed myself to put out this podcast tonight. So I hope you appreciate it. I hope I did my best in the short time I had, and that you'll join me again for this show that is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer, Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend or an enemy. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode 345, recorded on Monday, the 30th of November, 2020, but ending on Tuesday, the 1st of December, 2020, at 001458. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye for now. Bye. Oh, my God. My brain's going to explode.